What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as usual. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing well. Uh, doing well. And today we're going to talk about the Denver Nuggets. So we got the site manager uh, of the Denver Denver Stiffs website, denverstiffs.com, as well as the host of Locked On Nuggets, Adam Mares, is here. And how are you doing today, Adam? I'm doing very good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem, man. We, we appreciate you coming on here and taking a little bit of time out of your day to talk Nuggets with us. Big fan of the work you do covering, like he said, the Lockdown Podcast is a great follow there. And real quick, I want to applaud you for being able to do that solo. Like, I've tried to do that, and there's such an <laughs> awkwardness to it. But you keep a really solid flow. And at times during it, I even think that you're having a conversation. And then I realize, oh, wait, no, he's just going to keep talking to himself again. <laughs> Well I, well, I appreciate it. it we, we have to do five days a week during the season. So finding five guests per week, it would be almost impossible. So I, I it was one of those things. I had to learn to do it or, or I couldn't do the show. Yeah. But last season is where we probably want to start here. We're going to focus on, on on moving forward next year and maybe a little bit further. The Nuggets got a really bright future here. But obviously, a lot of the spark came from last year. The year before, you were one game out of the playoffs, lost it on the final game of the regular season. But 2018-19, 54-28, ended up with the second seed in the West and... A couple breakouts. I mean, Nikola Jokic going to fourth in the most uh, valuable player race. But if you could just give us a little bit of a recap and the positives that you took moving away from last year. Well, last year, I think, was a huge year for Denver. It was the year they finally got over the hump. Um, as you mentioned, they came up a game short the previous season. Actually, the previous two seasons, they were they were one game short of the playoffs. So I think it was the year that they had to make it into the playoffs and maybe even make up some ground um, that they had that they felt like they had missed over the the previous season. So it was a big year. It was a big year also for the Jamal Murray Nikola Jokic connection. I think um, coming into the season, you thought those guys had good but not great chemistry. You know, they they played well together. But I think one of the defining traits of last season was that that those two became a duo. I mean, they became the the one two punch of the Nuggets and. In crunch time, they, it was those two guys, you know, spread the court and let those two guys run pick and roll. So they improved a lot, and they also sort of uh, solidified and, and further continued to create their identity. So they did improve a lot. And what's interesting is there wasn't much of uh, turnover on the roster. The Nuggets definitely seem to be one of the most, uh, one of the teams that enjoys keeping some continuity around, feels like they like to build from within, build through the draft, 
So I'm wondering, uh, this general strategy, how do you think that it stacks up against the teams that are able to, to grab a couple all-NBA players uh, in free agency? Well, you're underselling it a bit because it, it's actually um, it's what makes them so unique. There's teams with more and less continuity. Obviously, some teams with a lot of turnover, a lot of those teams in the West. But Denver, they're, they're not even close to any other team in terms of continuity. I did a video a couple weeks back. Of the like 14 players they've drafted over the last five seasons, I think 11 of them are still on the team. Thomas Welsh, the two-way player, just got waived, so I guess 10 of them. But that's 10 players for five years that basically you've drafted and given either a second contract or, or you're still holding on to in some capacity. And then the veterans they brought in, Mason Plumley's gotten a second contract. Will Barton's gotten a second contract. Tory Craig has a second contract with Denver and Paul Millsap just had his team option picked up. So they, uh, they, when you say continuity, it's not like, Oh yeah, five or six of the core guys are still together. It's the 15 guys on the roster have basically been part of this team in some capacity for several years. And um, it, it's really, I think what makes them unique and it's a unique strategy, it was also born out of necessity. This is Denver. Paul Millsap, we were talking about this. Paul Millsap three years ago, I think is the biggest free agent signing of the last 30 years for the Denver Nuggets. And Paul Millsap, you know, 30, 33 year old Paul Millsap, a very good player, but by no means a superstar. So it it was born out of necessity, but I think it's also a huge advantage um, for this team. And, is specifically an advantage for the style of basketball that they play that's predicated on ball movement. Um, it's kind of a unique style. Jokic is such a unique player that you know no other team really has that style where the center's the point guard. And I think playing with continuity and guys that kind of get the style is an important, uh, sort of an important trait. You would kind of mention, you know, everybody has been here for a long time. It's not just one guy. It goes down to the bottom of the roster and you have a very deep team. You know, your eighth, ninth, tenth guys are serious contributors. And I've also heard you mention this makes a lot of sense. You're crowded at the two that you feel like this year is the year that you're going to have to choose between Barton and Beasley. And you don't want to necessarily let them walk for nothing, right? If you can get something by the deadline, you know which one you're picking, then maybe you want to move on, get an asset back in return. Is there a preference that you have between the two? Well, I I think, man, it's a really tough one. And that's the flip side of continuity is it's nice having 15 guys that you've sort of stuck with, including the end of bench guys. But this is the year where Denver has to kind of decide, okay, Malik Beasley is too good to be playing 12 minutes a game. Um, Wancho and Gomez said are the same thing. Uh, you mentioned Will Barton. He's a real question mark because I think he's um, – two years ago, he was probably one of the five best players on the team, maybe four best players on the team. The team has gotten a lot better, and he was hurt all of last season. So um, there's a lot of question marks surrounding him. Will Barton's making a lot of money. Uh, I think $14 million this season, um, and – Malik Beasley, I'm not sure what he would get on the open market, probably about that much, but he's just a lot younger and he'll only be getting, you would assume, only getting better as time goes on. I think Barton's a more dynamic player. He has a a handle. His shot is pretty good, you know, good enough, I would say. Um, He's long. He can do a bunch of different things. Malik Beasley's a much better shooter. He's a better athlete. Um, and in some ways it's easier to play with him because he's not as dynamic. It, you, you can say, okay, you're a shooter and a slasher and that's it. And he can say, okay. So I, I think I would probably lean towards Beasley, but it really comes down to what the price is. As you mentioned, he's in a contract year 
And if he is at or below that Will Barton number, then I think for sure you would probably take Beasley over him. But if he has a really a, a breakout year and he becomes one of those players that every team wants, then I think he's probably better as a trade asset than he is as letting him just go to summer and then not being able to sign him in restricted free agency. Makes sense. Uh, the the other two on the roster, the guy that's been the perennial starter uh, is Gary Harris, and he's still a pretty young guy, but he's been dealing with some injury stuff. My my question for you about him is, you know, how confident are you in in just keeping him in that starting role for the foreseeable future? I know he's got some some great defensive upside, and he can, he's got some offensive upside as well, but. With the injury stuff and and with the the crowd behind him at the two, uh, is this your guy going forward? No question. I think so. Gary Harris is a, is sort of the soul of the team. He was the first guy here in 2014, and and sort of the first guy of all the young pieces on the roster to to make it. And so, in a lot of ways, you mentioned he's only I think 24 years old. Maybe turning I think he turns 25 here in a month. He um. But it, he's, I think, the third or fourth oldest player on this team. He's he's a veteran that everybody looks up to. So as weird as it is to say, losing him would be as much about the locker room culture as anything. And oh, by the way, I think Gary Harris is now probably the single most underrated player on the Nuggets roster. He He's a heck of a player. There's been a lot of discussion here in Denver about trading him for a Bradley Beal and to me, I think Gary Harris gives you, you know, maybe 90% of what Bradley Beal does. And at a significantly discounted price in addition to being this perfect fit as a locker room guy and all these other things. So the real question mark around him is, as you mentioned, the last two years, he has not been able to stay on the court consistently. Has He's, he's still played a lot of games, but he's been banged up. And it just seems like there's he's one of those guys that's always pulling this or straining that. Um, but if he's but when healthy, he's a guy that's a 40 percent three point shooter. He can handle the ball a little bit, make basic plays and reads in the pick and roll finishes at an extremely high level at the rim, both as an above the rim finisher and as just a below the rim, like, you know, great touch on the ball and spin on the ball. So um, to me, he's he's a great, great player. The question is, you have Will Barton, Malik Beasley and Gary Harris, three shooting guards that are all in the rotation on 30 teams in the NBA. That's either starter or backup. And I, I think the real question is, can you survive with the cheapest of those three options, knowing that moving two of the other ones, maybe Barton and Gary Harris, would bring you back a really nice haul? I mean, you can get a good player for Gary Harris. So that's sort of the roster construction question for the for the Denver Nuggets. But I, I would lean towards keeping Gary Harris because I think he's the soul of the team. And I also just think he's really underrated. And if he's healthy this year, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised at, at what he does. And you know, let me, let me let me put. I actually want to put one more button on this. There was a real discussion here in Denver, and I thought it was a, I thought it was crazy, but there was a real discussion at the end of last year about whether Gary Harris, not Jokic, was the best player on the Nuggets roster. Wow. So I, I again, I thought that was crazy, but at least it was something that some that multiple people could sort of be discussing as as a topic. He was injured this last year, and that's faded away. And then Jokic, of course, went to a whole other level. But that just shows you how good Gary Harris has been prior to the injuries. Yeah. And obviously it's a little bit of a stretch, but like you're saying, at least being able to have and entertain the conversation just speaks to the talent of Gary Harris. And right. I think that, like you guys mentioned, one of his greatest assets is his defense. And that's something that really uh, concerns me for this Nuggets team. Even though they did well in it last year, I feel like there's a chance that this could have been an outlier year. You mentioned it, that 
you know, they were the best three point percentage opponent, three point percentage right. team. And you had said that you felt that they were kind of lucky in that regard. Um, they don't have great defenders, but at the same time, you know, if Gary Harris gets more minutes, Paul Millsap, if he's able to stay more healthy and you're bringing in Jeremy Grant, who's a very good defender in his own right. Do you, you had mentioned that you felt like the Nuggets had potential to be a top 10 defense next year. Now there's a difference between potential and what your expectations are. So I'm wondering what you're going into yeah. the season really expecting to see. Well, my expectation is that they will be a top 10 defense. And and I do think that there was a lot of sort of luck in, in as you mentioned, three point defense. I think they were number one in opponent three point yeah. percentage. So that number, and we know that it's actually a really fascinating topic. We know from a lot of research with the guys at Nylon Calculus and some of these other, you know, 538, they've showed that opponent three-point defense varies year to year so much that you probably shouldn't consider a correlation. I think Denver was 29th or 30th the previous season, <laughs> then all the way to first. So that just shows you that whether teams make or miss their open three-point shots, um, you know, is that... that a lot of times that'll determine how good or bad you are defensively. So that's what I'm talking about with that one. But it should also be noted that Gary Harris missed a lot of games, and he's probably the best perimeter defender. Paul Millsap missed several weeks. He's the best interior defender. So they they add Jeremy Grant and replace arguably the worst defender on the team in Trey Lyles. So you have these upgrades, and then you know Jokic, I think, has taken a step forward defensively. Jamal Murray has steps forward to take. I mean, he can't get worse, so... There, there's guys that on the coming um, joining the roster or just improving internally that make me think they should be better. And then lastly, I think defense in the NBA today more than any other era is more about the cohesiveness of your five man unit, not about any individual brilliance. Um, so I and I think when you talk about that continuity, one way where we never think about continuity is the defensive end, but. These are guys that have been using the same terminology, doing the same schemes, and sort of knowing each other's tendencies now for several years that I think that actually helps on the defensive end as much as the offensive end. So um, I do expect them to be a top 10 defense, and I think a lot of, a big part of why people are surprised by that is because they mistakenly underrate how good of a defender Nikola Jokic is. He's really bad at defending in space, but what bigs aren't? Rudy Gobert's bad at defending in space. Um, and, and, and I think Jokic, more than any of those other bigs, looks ridiculous when he gets burned because he's so slow-footed, but he gets burned a lot less than people think. It's just they stick out so much in people's minds. So all those factors, I think, come into play in what people's perception is of Denver defensively and what their reality is. <laughs> Are you currently paying off student debt, interested in improving your financial literacy, or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Hey guys, just want to give you a quick reminder that if you like what you're listening to, we'd really appreciate a quick rating and review of the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're getting this podcast. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, We'd love to interact with you. We can take your questions, answer them on the podcast as well. That is at Kings underscore Pulse. We also got an Instagram, Kings underscore Pulse. And we are the official podcast of 
uh, Reddit r slash kings. We got a sticky thread on there if you want to ask questions. So we really appreciate it, and, and thank you very much for listening. You mentioned Jamal Murray a minute ago, and I think it's worth talking about him for a second. Uh, he is another guy who is really young, and I, I'll say he even feels younger than uh, than he is to to us Kings fans because he was taken just a pick before Buddy Heald, who's now 26 oh, okay. apparently. Uh, <laughs> but Jamal Murray's 22, and um, you know, still got a lot of growing to do. But he had a really nice year last year. Uh, I think he's probably approaching, uh, all, you know, the all-star level, all-star conversation. How do you feel about him as a player? And and also going back to our discussion about the the crowded uh, two, the position of, of shooting guard that gets a bit crowded. If you, you know, I don't really view Murray as a pure point guard. I know that he can play off ball. He has shown that he can play yeah. off ball. If there was to be some movement, uh, if you were to move, you know, Beasley or Barton, uh, he could play up a little bit. I mean, what do you think about him in his position? And maybe that passing isn't quite as necessary when you've got a guy like, uh, you know, the Joker over there to to who's like one of the greatest passing bigs of all time. But just focusing on Jamal Murray going forward, what do you see his his ceiling as? Um, it, it's tough. I think that the biggest question, Mel, <laughs> Michael Porter Jr. is the biggest question on the Nuggets roster because literally any any possibility works for him. But um, Jamal Murray is the second biggest question and the, and the biggest one of guys that have already played because at his best, he's really good. In that Portland series, he outplayed Damian Lillard. And I'm not saying that to, to like as hyperbole. Look at the numbers. Jamal Murray was scoring 30 points on, I think, three uh, different games and every night putting up big numbers while Damian Lillard was struggling. So at his best, Jamal Murray is really, really good. Uh, the problem with Murray, and and I think this probably has a lot to do with age, is that at his worst, he's really bad. And his average is sort of probably a, a, a little bit closer to the bad end of the spectrum than the, the great end. And that's in part because his highs are so high. So the real question is, is Jamal Murray a streaky player, like a sixth man type that sometimes gives you 20 points, sometimes gives you six? Um, or is he more of uh, just a young guy who's learning how to be consistent? And of course, when he's 24, 25, he'll be the more often the best version of himself. And when he's not the best version, a higher, just a higher average. Um, that's the real question. And, and I really don't know the answer to it. Uh, you mentioned the point guard slash combo guard distinction. I get what people are saying when when they say that he's he's not John Stockton. He plays he's a scorer um, and a pick and roll player. But I think he's his point guarding skills have gotten a lot better over the years. His ability to deliver the ball in the pick and roll, I think, is the number one thing. And the thing about him is he has been, I think, by direction of of the coaching staff, he has been very cautious with how to pass the ball in the in the pick and roll because he doesn't want to turn it over. And as he's gotten older, he's become less cautious because he's gotten more comfortable. And I think that's the right approach. He probably could have averaged a lot more turnovers and made a lot more big-time plays early on in his career, but that's not the way they've they've sort of wanted his development to go. So I think he's fine as a point guard. I think he works, especially, as you mentioned, alongside Jokic, who does a lot of the other facilitating. He can bring the ball up the court. That's not a problem. He can run pick and roll. That's not a problem. And everything else meshes together between point guard and shooting guard in the half court. And you obviously mentioned the consistency. Do you feel like there's other steps and notable improvements that you need to see in order for him to live up to that five-year, $170 million extension he just inked in? 
Well, first and foremost, he's got to shoot the ball. And I think if you look at his numbers year by year, he's has never been a 40% three-point shooter. And a guy with his reputation, you would expect him to at least have a year where he's he's just up higher, you know, closer to that number. And if you break it down a little bit more closely, I think every single season so far, he has shot horribly in October and November and then been a 40% three-point shooter the rest of the year. And I think what the Nuggets believe and certainly hope, maybe it's wishful thinking, is they think, oh, he's more of the guy that he is through the back half of the year each season than he is the front half. And, you know, he's young, maybe whatever. You know, you come up with reasons for why he hasn't reached that plateau yet. Um, but that's first and foremost, he has to be, if not a 40% three point shooter, he has to be like a 40% on open, sh- you know, on the shots you expect him to make. And maybe he takes because of the usage role he has, he has to take a couple tougher ones and he finishes somewhere around 38%. But that just hasn't been the case yet. He hasn't quite shot the ball as well as he, um, I think the Nuggets believe he can. Secondly, he has to defend a big part of the inconsistency is, you know, he had his most high profile regular season game was the 48 point game he had against the Boston Celtics. I think Kyrie had like 44 in that game. And it was a it was a back and forth game where neither player was even trying on defense against the other. So he has to become a better defender. Um, he has to he has to shoot the ball a lot better. And if there's one other thing, I think his handle and maybe this is what you're alluding to when you talk about the point guarding his handle he he has a functional scoring handle. He you know he's got a lot of moves when he's just trying to shake a guy to get a shot off. But I don't think he has a great handle for like getting into the pick and roll and getting the right angles and putting the defense in a pickle. You think of guys like Chris Paul, who I think have a very functional handle in that regard. Um, they're able to navigate tight spaces and and always always know the proper footwork and different things to put the defense off balance. Jamal Murray's not very good at that part of the handle and. I, I think improving in that regard will, will really open up his game if he's able to improve. And we haven't actually talked much about Nikola Jokic, but it's, uh, you know, obviously he's an incredible player, you know, finished fourth in the MVP voting and his first all-star, all-star season last year. But I want to put a question to you like this, and it's maybe a lazy question, maybe a loaded question, but if you were to vote, if I were to give you, uh, if I were to give you the chance to bet, over under on 0.5 MVP awards won in his career. Are you taking the over on that? I am. I, I, I you have to also understand who you're talking. To. I think you guys both know this, but I, I am I am probably as high on Jokic as a just just for what he is and what he what he means to basketball as just about any other person. I mean, with within reason. I've been banging the drum that this is a, you know, not just an analytics like, oh, look at his box plus minus says he's the fifth best player is sophomore season or whatever. Not, it's not just that stuff. You watch him and you say he's so, you know, his athleticism and stuff is the first thing everybody notices. And a lot of people don't dig deeper, but me watching every single game he's played and most games I watch twice, um, he just does so much that it is so smooth. He's one of the has maybe the softest hands in all of the NBA, not just of big guys, but of any player. He he has vacuum hands that just grab rebounds and loose balls, and he he throws passes at the weirdest thing. I mean, he makes a play every single game. He makes a play I've never seen before. Where it, it, it you know he's known as an unconventional player, but he makes a pass at an angle where you're just like, how did he throw that one? Like, what what was the point of reference for him to try that angled pass um, or shot or whatever? He had. Two game winners this year, one against Miami and one against Dallas at the buzzer game winners where 
it looked like he was falling down and shot it on accident, but it's a shot. He, he we, you know, here in Denver, we watched him take a, a hundred times and makes it almost every time. So I, I, I am extremely high on the value he brings to the game. And I think voters, especially after seeing what he put up in the playoffs and just think about this for a moment, 25 points, thir- I think 13 rebounds, eight and a half assists. That was his playoff debut average, his first ever playoff, almost a 28 point triple or 25 point triple double. Um, at 23 years old. So I think, uh, yeah, I'm really high on not just him as, um, you know, any type of gimmicky player or this or that. I think he is going to be one of the best players in the NBA for the next decade and not like a fringe top 10 guy. I think he's going to be in the MVP conversation every single year for the next decade. And if he's in the conversation, I think he'll, he'll sneak in one or two of those over that time span. I think it's easy to forget how young he is. Like you mentioned, it's it's just insanity. I mean, the amount of progression there still is. You had a good comparison to um, a lot of people talk about him the same way they talk about Luka Doncic, where it's like, you know, where is the progression still going to come? And right. the guy is still so young. Like there's so many things to still understand in the NBA. You know, things still could progress and continue to slow down and the fact that this vision is already there could even take to another level my question for you about Jokic is you know a lot of teams throughout the league they have maybe a guard tandem that is their dynamic duo or there's a elite wing but not many teams their best player is surrounded by this big Um, I think that you have shown that you can have success that way. You've surrounded him with the right guys. But do you think it actually could be an advantage in a way since it's very different to prepare defensively for the Nuggets compared to all of these other more uh, general play styles that you see throughout the league? I've heard this a lot. And going into the playoffs last year, a lot of people said, oh, Jokic about to get exposed because, as you mentioned, teams can't prepare in the regular season for his style of play. And... I, 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 I put all my chips on the table and said, that's not going to happen. <laughs> whatever, whatever everybody wants to bet me, let's go for it. This guy, it's not some something where you look at the film and say, oh, take this away and he's got nothing. He is so diverse. His skill set is so diverse that you take away one thing, it opens up another. And, uh, you know, you go big against him, he plays outside. You go small against him, he plays inside. This was the first year for Jokic that he was physically dominant. And I know people are going to laugh at that because he's so fat and, and clumsy he uses his body weight at such so nicely um he, he's one of the stronger players in the nba in large part because he has so much body i think he's the third heaviest player in the nba and he just throws that weight around in such a in such a smart way that you know if you go small against him he just th- throws his belly into you and then shoots over you and um so i think a lot of bigs in the nba traditionally if you're a good scoring big like a Shaq. You're good because you're a scorer um, or defensive player, but, but offensively because you're a scorer and maybe you throw three assists a game like Shaq did, but you have to be so dominant as a scorer for you to be a guy that you play through. If you're not Shaq level or, or maybe a Kim Elijah one, Tim Duncan level, if you're just sh- shy of that, even just a little bit, then it's hard to build around you because not a lot of spirals off. But of course, Jokic is the opposite. Everything spirals off of what he does. Everything he does on the court is done with the thought of what is the counter if they shut this down or what else can come off of this. So I think he is different than every other big. But I also think he's changing the game. And here's the inter- the more interesting question sort of going forward is how much are players 
who are maybe more skilled one-on-one offensively, Carl Anthony Towns, Joel Embiid, are those guys going to learn and wisen up and steal from Jokic's game? And what do they look like? What does Carl Towns look like if he can steal 60% of Jokic's passing or even 70%? You know, I don't think anybody... Jokic is so gifted as, as like his vision and his feel for the game that I don't think anybody will get that close to him. But Towns is a dominant scorer. I think I, I think Towns is actually incredibly underrated for how dominant he is as a one-on-one scorer. There's nobody in the league that can guard him, and inside, outside, whatever. But he's more of the Shack route, where you know he's if he's not scoring, then what else is coming off of it, and what is everybody else doing when he's scoring the basketball? If he can sort of learn some of the tricks that Jokic has, then I think he's one of those guys that would jump up, you know, th- become three times as valuable. And I'm really Andre Drummond this last year, I think, averaged more assists than ever by almost double or by by quite a bit. I'm curious. He, he was a guy that I think clearly maybe didn't see Jokic, but was coached to be a little bit more like what Jokic is doing. And um, I, I wonder if other players are going to start the game. The game itself is going to start evolving towards more of what Jokic is doing, and and he'll have an influence on bigs in the game. That's my big question. So let's get to the other big question, uh, which you mentioned before, is Michael Porter Jr. He obviously is a guy that if if he is what everyone hopes that he will be, he will fill a, a very big role for the Nuggets. He will, you know, that big forward, scoring forward, man. I mean, obviously everyone salivates over his potential, but what can you tell us about him? What can you give us some updates? Can you can you tell us? Can you speak to your confidence in him ever becoming that player? Well, I can't tell you much because, quite frankly, that there's not anything to be known about him other than you know what the coaching staff and other players have seen behind closed doors. Here's all I'll say about him. Physically, because obviously I'm around him at, at, at practices and I've, I've seen him work out in empty gyms, he's physically just such an impressive specimen. I mean, incredibly disciplined about his diet. He's well-known vegan for, for many years, although he's eating a little bit more meat now. But he's incredibly disciplined with his diet, and you see it on his body. He's even when he was drafted, he came in. He was just zero body fat, six foot eleven, um, just statuesque, incredibly skinny frame, but with a bunch of muscle on it. He just he looks like a, a, an NBA All Star. Um, and you watch him shoot. His shot is incredibly smooth. He probably has the prettiest looking jumper on on the entire Nuggets roster. Um, so those are like sort of the things that I know about him and, and have been able to observe. And then. The coaching staff, the front office, and other players have every incentive this summer to really temper expectations. This is a guy that hasn't played for two years, had two back surgeries, and I think you would say, hey, man, it's going to be a process. He's going to come along slowly. We're a good team without him. We're, you know, Just try to make things easy for him. But instead, what everybody has done has hyped this guy up and said, oh, man, wait till you guys see what we see behind closed doors, which is that this guy is – just an incredible talent and has a chance to be one of the five best players on the Nuggets roster this season as, as basically a, a, a red shirt rookie. Now I can't speak to any of that cause I haven't seen it. Um, my major questions with him, obviously first and foremost are health, uh, the two back surgeries. I think if he played 15 minutes per game and sat out, you know, long road trips here and there back to every back to back, those types of things. I think that would be smart if you played 60 games and made it through 60 at 15 minutes per game. To me, that's the right step for him, given where he's at. So can he play that? That's my baseline for him. Um, And then second would be just physically. How does he handle the NBA? As much as he is a ripped guy, he is a slight frame, slender framed guy. And 
I, I do think there'll be like a one year sort of awakening for him and how physical the game is. And then lastly, how well does he fit in with his team? Because I know that his best and most comfortable style of basketball is where he gets the ball, jab steps two or three times, takes three or four dribbles, and then hits a step back jumper. And he's really good at that. But that's not Denver Nuggets basketball. And I think um, Michael Malone, if you try to read between the lines of what he said when he's talked about this guy, he raves about his talent, raves about his upside, considers him a, a cornerstone piece of the Nuggets going forward. But he keeps saying the one thing we're trying to really get him to figure out is our style, our brand of basketball. And and he louds him for it. He says, oh, he's getting better at it every single day. But it tells me that that's, that's probably going to be one of the biggest sort of um, obstacles is getting Michael Porter Jr. to figure out how to play at this level of basketball, NBA level on a good team with lots of talent, and um, as opposed to just being the guy in the centerpiece of everything. I think that's going to be a real challenge. And I think some potential that he brings to your team is being able to guard the the other big small forward wings that we talk about, you know, a, a Giannis LeBron. And I don't think you can expect that year one. I think any year one player, obviously you're just not going to be able to do that. You're going to be a little slow. They're going to rook you a little bit, but Jeremy Grant bringing that in, I think has potential to do that as well. I don't know. I know you mentioned like he, he can guard a Paul George, but can he take that level up to a LeBron, to a Kawhi Leonard? I don't know if that's necessarily the case. You guys have, you have the guards covered. You know, you can do Harris, yeah. throw a couple others there. Jokic, you mentioned, is an underrated defender, can guard the bigs. But specifically, you know, Lakers and Clippers are going to be big competition in this Western Conference. You have to be a little bit concerned about those elite small forwards, right? I think it's the number one biggest uh, weakness for the Nuggets is guarding those types of players. And to the extent that I don't know that Denver matches up with the Lakers or Clippers at all. I, I think both of those matchups, I, I Denver's chances would be well below 50%, even if in a vacuum they're more talented. I think Denver was a lot more talented than the Portland Trailblazers this last season. Ex- they had experience, and I think that really mattered. And then secondly, Denver had that one weakness that once Portland figured out how to exploit it, and then of course Rodney Hood just having the 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 uh, series of his life, I think those two things, you know, that's exactly how you beat Denver. You might be more well rounded and have all these other benefits, but if you have one glaring weakness, especially in today's NBA, and the other team can take advantage of it, that really really harms you. And Denver, I think, is going to be if you just like ranked every if you scored. Every team in the NBA across a thousand different metrics. I think Denver would come in the finish in the top three. You know, they're right up there with the best teams, but their weakness is as glaring as anybody else's weakness. And it just so happens to fit perfectly with the strength of teams like the Clippers and, uh, and the Lakers. So, and, and a handful of other teams that have those great scoring wings, um, big bodied scoring wings. So I, I agree with your assessment. That's Denver's biggest weakness. I think that they have the pieces to address that weakness. Um, it during the the season or maybe even before Andre Iguodala is sitting out there as a guy that is likely to either be bought out or traded um, before the season begins. I think Robert Covington is another guy that is it might be on the move. Denver might that might be the answer for Denver. A lot of these really good players that are going to be backups: Wancho, Malik Beasley, Torrey Craig. You know those guys. They might be. At the in the end, they might just be consolidation pieces that um, a, a young rebuilding team would love to have. And if they have a veteran wing that can guard, um, you know, Denver might be interested in trading for those guys. So Jeremy Grant, I, I think we, we we can definitely talk about him. And I think we should, because he is, uh, 
a huge piece of this puzzle, but I don't see him as a huge piece for guarding the LeBrons of the world. I don't even see him as a big piece of guarding the Paul Georges, quite frankly. I think that'll go fall on somebody else's shoulders, and I don't know that you can count on Jeremy Grant to, to be that guy at that position. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Interesting. So so we've covered the trade for Jeremy Grant and the only other real move we can talk about the extension for Murray and we can talk about the the exercising of Millsap's uh option but the other addition for Denver was drafting Bobo at 44 getting his rights yeah. there and definitely felt like a nuggetsy move and definitely felt like I know I can only speak for myself but when I saw that Bobo went to the Nuggets I was like damn like this is just <laughs> this team has so many players that if they work out it's terrifying but uh, can you speak a little bit to Bull Bull and, and tell us, you know, I mean, obviously, I, I think that most people know that he's got really serious, you know, lottery, if not, you know, first half of the lottery type of upside if he were completely healthy. But but what have you seen from him so far, if anything at all? Well, I'm reminded of the, one of the best pieces of the last calendar year, which was um, Ethan Strauss's article at the draft last year. We got a quote from Draymond about 16 game players and and 82 game players and how teams in in the playoffs, kind of what we were talking about, teams with weaknesses. um, That's where that's where players get you and or other teams get you. And I think with Bull Bull, his positives are super positive. I mean, he's seven foot two, maybe seven foot three, the way you you uh, measure NBA players. And his shot, he he might have one of the best shots on the entire Nuggets roster. I've seen him. In, in practices and, and just being at the gym, he'll fire up 10 threes in a row and just, and just drain all of them, nothing but net, casually, um, flip the ball up, up underhanded. He, he reminds me of Jokic in this regard in that Jokic in an empty gym, he'll, he'll throw up trick shots after trick shot, things that he clearly has never practiced before and make them all. And you're just like, man, this guy has a gift for touch somehow. Bull Bull is sort of similar. He, it's so clear that he has the these soft touch that, um, that really, really unique for a guy his size. But the flip side of that is his weaknesses are all over and, um, and and they're numerous. And so the question isn't, can he be this great shooter at the NBA level? Can his positives have an impact? It's how much will his negatives keep him off of the court? So I, I like the guy. He's perfectly positioned to be here in Denver. I think I don't think he's going to play at all this season um, other than in the G League and and just kind of work on his body. But that's perfect for him. I think this is the perfect place for him to land the same way. I think it was the perfect place for Michael Porter jr. To land and Jared Vanderbilt to land and Monte Morris to land Monte Morris two seasons ago, his rookie year, he was in the G league. I think he played three minutes for the nuggets total. And this year he came in and was second in the NBA and assist to turnover ratio in large part because his weaknesses, he got to spend an entire year just working on him with bowl bowl. I don't know what his work work ethic is like. I don't. I think he has a real awakening here as he gets to the NBA, and he's going to be in Delaware and Boise and doing all. You know, he's going to be doing the G League thing for a year, and how well he embraces that will probably determine how how you know what kind of career he has. But if he can work on his body and add twenty thirty pounds, um, which I think is, it sounds like a lot, but he's seven foot two. That's 
that's probably like adding 10 pounds for most people. If he can sort of, you know, just mature and grow up and, and, and learn how to approach the game as an NBA player, then I think that he's in a great environment to slowly come along and, and slowly become a piece of this team. But he's like Michael Porter Jr. last year. I, I rarely think about him as a piece of the Nuggets just because it's so far off and there's so many obstacles before we get there. Yeah, and both Michael Porter Jr. and Bobo are a little bit reminiscent to the same sort of situation as Harry Giles we got going in Sacramento. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the difference might be, you know, seeing Giles having a disappointing season at Duke and being a clear yeah. sign that he has slowed down when you still don't know if Michael Porter Jr. is going to be able to return to that same level. Uh, not right away, but maybe a little bit quicker than you've seen with Giles. But I think... I think going back to, I wanted to touch on this Jeremy. Well, Grant I, well, I thing. wanted to say before you get there, yeah, I love ahead. Harry Giles, and and I'm I'm a like big men or or I, I I watch their games a little bit more closely because I am I'm a six six guy. I I I played inside um, for most of my playing career, so I judge them a little bit more closely. And I he's one of my guys. I buying all the stock on Harry Giles. I think his ceiling is incredibly high. I love his style of play. And if he sort of he's one of those guys where I think is better than what he looks like because his weaknesses are weaknesses that are going to that I just believe in. Like he's going to improve in those areas and it's going to unlock the things he does so well. So um, as a Nuggets from a Nuggets perspective, Harry Giles is a guy I'm all in on. Well, I'm sure you like passing bigs, right? What's there not to like? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a big, big part of it. But yeah, um, yeah, everything he does, I just he has his skill set is incredible. Oh, well, we are definitely on board with you all aboard the Harry Giles hype train. Rich actually got married in a Giles jersey. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I, That's uh, a little too far for me, but I dig it, man. <laughs> hey, I, it started off as a joke, and I got uh, 10,000 retweets, so I kind of had to put my money where my mouth is. But uh, nice. it was awesome, and uh, yeah, he, he was super nice about it. And I, I actually, when I met him, he like introduced me to his mom, and he's like, He's like, Mom, this is the groom. It was really cool. <laughs> That's so cool. Man. Harry Giles is the man. That's awesome. You will never hear any Giles slander coming out of this pod. But the the guy, I wanted to touch on Jeremy Grant a little bit here. And my question is that I feel like you're most comfortable and you saw him play a lot at the four last year. And that feels like the same spot for Millsap as well. I'm wondering if you think that there's going to be moments where you play um, Jeremy Grant at that three. And the other reason I feel like there's some complication there is because you do have so many guards that some of them, in order to get those minutes, need to play down to that same three spot as well. Yeah, I I don't know how much Jeremy Grant's going to play the three. I, to me, I, I think that would probably be a mistake. Um, it, it depends on who was the four. I guess if... If him and Michael Porter Jr. were both on the court together, they're both basically fours or you know some three-four combo, and it doesn't matter. Against certain lineups, Jeremy Grant can survive at the three, but offensively, you know, you just need spacing. And Jeremy Grant can shoot the ball. He shot the ball really well last year, but I don't, I don't think he's a type of shooter that creates gravity on the perimeter. So to me, he's more of a four and maybe even a five in certain lineups. I think what's more realistic to me is, you know, Millsap and Jeremy Grant sharing the floor together as a four five combo than as a, you know, three, four combo. So, um, it's tough for Denver because they also have Mason Plumlee. Who's Plumlee is the punchline. I think a lot of times I hear people talking about him on team USA and kind of snickering. Plumlee's a heck of a player. I mean, he's one of the 30 best centers in the NBA, 
he's only going to be playing 12 minutes a game or so 15 minutes a game. So here in Denver, he's buried a bit, but he's, he's, he is a starting caliber, uh, center. And I think the tough part is Denver has great point guards and shooting guards. They have great forwards and power forwards and centers, and they don't have any small forwards. And so somebody's going to have to play out of position. But I think it's more like what you mentioned, the guards playing down a spot than the bigs playing up a spot. So the last two real moves of the of the uh, offseason period for the Nuggets, uh, exercising that option on Millsap. We can touch on that, but I don't think there's too much debate to be had on it. It made sense for the team in a lot of ways. And then the max extension, the five-year extension for Jamal Murray, I believe it's the full max. I don't see any options on that on these five years either. How did you feel about that when you heard that they, they were giving him the full full five-year max? Well, it was, um, you know, it's it's the type of move that markets like Denver sort of have to make. I mean, you have to – it would have been – I think it's easy for me to say let him play out the year, become a restricted free agent, and go from there. I think Denver, with sort of everything they've been preaching about continuity and, um, you know, work hard, we're going to reward you. Denver's trying really, really hard to sort of rebrand their image. Not that they necessarily had a bad one, but they're really wanting to become a San Antonio Spurs type organization where, you know, don't skip steps and and be disciplined and this and that. But they're also trying to get the reputation of we're fair to our guys. Mason Plumlee, they paid a bunch of money they didn't have to. Will Barton, they rewarded for the work he's put in. Gary Harris, they've, they've done this time and time again. If you remember, when Gary Harris signed his extension, first $84 million, a, a lot of people said – Oh, that's way too much. And eventually he played himself to the level where people said, okay, that's actually, that's actually perfect. I think Denver's banking on the same thing. I don't love the contract. I don't think Jamal Murray has earned a max contract. I don't, um, I, I think it's really realistic for him to reach that level over the next season or two. And, um, I think Denver's success hinges on it, but it doesn't change anything now that he's making that money. Denver decided that they were going to go this route. Um, pay him and, and hope that he makes it. But the truth was Denver's uh, success and, and their ability to win a championship over the next three or four years always hinged on Jamal Murray becoming a star. Now they just put their money where their hope is. And um, now financially they're sort of tied to that as well. But um, so I don't think he's earned it. Uh, I, I don't know that he's, I would say he's probably below 50% that he's going to live up to that. But it's within the realm of possibility, and Denver, that was their um, only shot anyway, so they sort of paid for it pre- prematurely. Yeah, we definitely can relate there. We got our Sacramento tax, as we coin it, so yes. definitely understand yes. small market teams. One question that we like to to ask everybody and get a gauge on is who we feel is going to take a big step forward on the team and a step back as well. And I think Murray's a good segue into that. Is there a worry that now that he's cashed out, there's a chance that the progression slows down a little bit? There maybe there's not that same work ethic. I don't think there's any concern about his work ethic. Um, Jamal Murray is a gym rat. Um, Denver has built the culture of guys that work hard. And I think they've selected. I think a lot of it is they've just selected guys. They've passed on guys that were like, yeah, this guy's really good, but we don't know about his drive. Denver has a lot of extremely, extremely self-driven, self-motivated players. Um, so, and, and Jamal Murray right there at the, near the top of that list. So I don't think there's any concern for that. He wants to be great. Um, and, and he pushes himself, but he will slow down his progress just because every year you're in the league, your progress slows down. You're, yeah. I think, I think this next season is probably the last year I would expect a big improvement from him. 
I think he made an enormous improvement between his second and third season. And, and I think there should be a pretty big improvement this next season. But it is sort of um, exponential in how it, it should decline. So um, this is a big year for him. I think he has to make another leap. But every year going forward, it'll it'll be a little bit less. And real quick, do you feel like Bobo kind of goes against that identity a little bit? A lot of his concerns coming out weren't the talent level, but maybe the work ethic and personality a little bit. Well, I th- yes, um, absolutely. Bull Bull is not. Yeah, he, you're right about that. He he's he's not one of the guys that w- when I'm talking about the work ethic or whatever. But he's also the 15th guy, and he yeah. was taken in the second round. So I think for him that that concern was sort of known, and they believe. And, and here's where Denver. I think Denver, Josh Kroenke and Tim Conley deserve the credit here. I think when they really regrouped four or five years ago and said, "How do we? How do we in Denver build this team?" It was first and foremost, uh, before anything else, it was we build the culture first, and then we trust that culture to to be the foundation for everything else. And a big reason why they hired Michael Malone, um, who you guys have some familiarity with there in Sacramento, he's a culture guy. I mean, he is a um, a player's coach. Players love him, but he's also um, a really tough guy. I mean, he's a no-nonsense. Him benching Isaiah Thomas this year, I, I don't know how many coaches – with, who have never made the playoffs before could have pulled the move as quickly and as smoothly as he did. That was not a distraction this year. He benched a former MVP candidate nine games into his tenure, tenure, and just said, "Hey, man, we've got we've established a team without you, and we're going to keep it that way." Um, so that culture, I think Denver's trusting that culture with Bull Bull. That yeah, he's the guy that probably most doesn't fit that identity of of working hard, but he's young, and we think once we get him in the gym we can get him to buy in. By the way, I think Jokic has evolved in this this way as well. I don't think Jokic came in as a guy that was, you know, dreaming about basketball and working during the offseason or whatever, but he's really developed that over over the years and in ways that I didn't fully anticipate to be honest with you. I think he's he's become much more of a basketball junkie and much more of a driven he when he first came into the league, you could tell he was happy to be here. This last season in particular, he talked about wanting to be the best player in the NBA and I, I think that change of mind frame is a lot about the culture sort of rubbing off on him. And I think the hope is that'll happen with Bull Bull as well. You mentioned Mike Malone, and he definitely is a guy that Sacramento has a ton of respect for. He feels like the coach who got away. Uh, obviously, you know, he was fired, but the fan base did not want that at the time. It was a really crazy turn of events with the Marcus Cousins uh, getting sick and there being a downslide. It felt like that was the. That was the the team that a lot of Kings fans really got attached to. Felt like they could they yeah. could do well. They were winning at the time. But um, going back to the the steps forward and steps back question, I will just ask: There's not a ton of of players with the you know not a ton of candidates to take a step back, just considering the youth that the, you have in Denver. But is Paul Millsap? I mean, he's he is getting up there in age. Do you have any concern about him slowing down? I, I don't, and in, in large part because I think the Jeremy Grant move um, allows him to not play too many minutes. I, I think the best route for Paul Millsap, personally, going forward is to become Andre Godala. You know, maybe you're 20 minutes a night during the regular season. You're going to be 30 during the postseason, but 20 minutes a night during the regular season, and you can extend your career by four or five years because you're just not racking up the mileage, and you become more of a defensive specialist and lineup specialist than um, you know, uh, the workhorse or whatever. So I think with Jeremy Grant, Jeremy Grant is good enough 
I believe, defensively, offensively, to sort of be a facsimile for, for Millsap during the regular season. Uh, and, and that allows him to... So yes, I do think his numbers are going to be down. I think he's going to have career lows in every category other than maybe efficiency stats. And But I think that's that's part of the plan for Denver, and um, and I think it's best for him. So yes, some regression, but I think it actually might work in his favor if he's fresh for the playoffs, for the postseason, the way I anticipate. Yeah, that makes sense there. I could definitely see that type of role for him. Uh, one other thing that I'm curious of, and I always like to ask people that have a lot of insight and focus on their one specific team, is going into next year, there's always very specifics that you're looking for in players games or maybe development as a team in total like the kings are looking for giles to maybe step back hit that three a little bit more buddy's finishing around the rim is there specific storylines that you're keeping a close eye on going into the season well we've touched on i think a majority of them i think the biggest question surrounding denver this season michael porter jr is probably number one i mean he's he's an inflection point for the nuggets i i like their ability to be a contender sort of where they are right now or better over the next you know four or five years i just think the talent the young talent isn't going anywhere and they're they're going to be good but are they going to be contender favorites or or you know the leading candidate that hinges more on michael porter jr than any other player because if he is that third star in addition to all the other things they've built the culture the the depth all those other things if he's a third a true like third star then denver's really good so he's storyline number one um, I, I think the two things that people don't realize that go under the radar, I, I should say number two is Jeremy Grant. It, and we didn't talk about him enough. I, I guess I'll, I'll interject here and just say this one thing. The Nuggets offense, when they had Kenneth Freed and Nikola Jokic, was the best offense in the NBA with, with those two guys on the court. They were scoring, it was like a 128 offensive rate. It's something ridiculous where Fareed was such an offensive rebound monster and such a good quick dunker, quick jumper that you couldn't leave him. You couldn't help off of him. I think Jeremy Grant provides a lot of similar attributes. He's an above the rim finisher, extremely athletic, extremely quick jumper. And I think that the Nuggets offense this year with him and Jokic both on the court together is going to be incredible. So Jeremy Grant would be probably the second storyline. But the buried ones, the 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 ones that I think most people don't don't maybe the casual fan didn't realize is that Will Barton was the starting small forward last year, and I was very excited for him there. It's really a three-guard lineup. Not He's not really a small forward. It's just playing two shooting guards. And I love that lineup offensively because I think I don't think anybody can keep up with that amount of shooting, speed, just ability to play multiple pick-and-rolls in one possession. You could pick-and-roll with Murray, pick-and-roll with Harris, pick-and-roll with Barton all in the same possession, and that's just so hard to guard. But he was injured in game two. Um, he played two games, one Denver one on the road against the Clippers, a really good win. And then the second game, Jokic had a perfect triple double, 35 point triple double with no misses and no turnovers. And I think that had to do with the fact that he had three guards to play pick and roll with, and it just made everything so easy. He gets hurt. He never comes back the same. He has the worst year of his career after missing 50 games. He, he came back and was terrible. So the return of, of what I believe is the real Will Barton is a very underrated and under-the-radar storyline. He's not going to be able to guard anybody, so the, the defensive issues aren't going anywhere for him. But offensively, I think it makes Denver a candidate to be the best offense in the entire NBA this year. Um, and then you also factor in Gary Harris was at probably 80%, 70% for most of the year. You're basically getting two starters back to 100%, and I, I think that's a sneaky, important storyline for the Nuggets. So absolutely, we're we're getting close to the end here. Uh, we're gonna try to get some some hard numbers out of you, predict some wins and losses. But 
the last question I want to get to before that is, can you predict for us the projected starting lineup on opening night and, and the, the key, you know, sixth and seventh men, something like that. But this might be really easy, an easy question for a team with so much continuity. But can you project that out for us? Yeah, so I think it's going to be the same as last year. Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, I think Will Barton, I think they open camp with an open bat position battle at small forward. I think Michael Michael Malone likes to do that every year. He seems to have one. I think it's clearly small forward this year, but I think the right answer is Will Barton. If he's healthy, I I, I just think that he's clearly the right choice there. Um, And then Paul Millsap starting at power forward. I don't think that changes even with Jeremy Grant and, of course, Jokic. And then off the bench, the thing about Denver is it's not really a six or seventh man. I think there's three candidates for sixth man of the year. Um, maybe four Monte Morris, as I mentioned, was so good as a point guard during the regular season, just never turning the ball over running the show. And then he was a 40% three point shooter for most of the year. So he was just sort of a perfect ideal backup point guard. He's not flashy, but he, he does everything you need a second, um, unit player to do, especially when you have talented players around him, he just gets the ball where it's supposed to go. Malik Beasley was a 40% three point shooter last year. So he's another elite backup guard. Um, Michael Porter Jr. is a huge question mark, but he's almost certainly going to be the backup small forward. That power, Jeremy Grant, clearly the backup power forward, and Mason Plumley the backup center. So Denver really has two five-man lineups that I think will go up with most five-man lineups. Certainly their starters, and their second unit I think will be as good of a five-man unit as any second unit in the NBA. Uh, and I think those positions are set in stone. The, the wild cards are... What's Michael Porter Jr.? Maybe he doesn't even play. Maybe he's there's he could either be a star or a nobody. I mean, he he really has the widest range of outcomes. But Wancho Hernan Gomez is there, and Wancho is a guy who is maybe the best shooter on the team. Forty percent guy when healthy, and um, he might just be out of the rotation. But if if Michael Porter Jr. doesn't work out, he's he's a guy that I think is a very good backup small forward um, for the Nuggets as well. Yeah, it makes sense moving forward, looking pretty similar to last year in regards to that starting five. We like to kind of base it around these Vegas over-unders in regards to yeah. talking about next year. And they tend to do a really good job. Sometimes there's a lot of fluctuation. Uh, like we mentioned at the top, last year's record was 54 wins. Vegas has it at 52. Um, it's a high bar, you know, and even last year's, obviously, you could lose a couple more games and it's still an absolutely amazing season. But if you had to take over under, or maybe you feel that's about right for 52, what are your thoughts? I I love the over here. And I mean, you're talking to a Denver guy. So I, I imagine as you do these shows to preview, everybody you interview is going to have the over. It's just, I, I've done these before in the past as well. And it seems like every everybody's higher on their team, the team they cover the closest the most, but Denver has hit their over four years in a row now, and comfortably so in most most years. Maybe that's a part of, as you were talking, the Sacramento tax, the Denver tax, where Vegas knows nobody's going to bet on them, so the lines are always a little bit low. Kind of the opposite of what happens to the Knicks and Lakers every year, where it's, they're, they're almost always the easy take the under because you know Lakers fans are going to pound the over. Um, so, I, But I'm, I like the over here. The continuity factor is a big part of it. I think Denver should hit the ground running more so than any other team in the NBA because they're basically the same team that just went to Game 7 of the conference semifinals. Um, so there's that. There's also just the internal improvement. I, I mentioned I think all but three of the players on the t- roster are 25 or under. When you're 25 or under, you're almost certainly better than when you're, you're next season. So Denver should be better there. And then, as I mentioned, sneaky injured last year i think they missed the third second or third most games to injury last season 
um, and still managed to do what they did. They played an entire month with only Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic healthy in the, in the starting lineup. Every, the other three starters were all out. So um, I think that the 54 wins, I think it should be, I think Denver will be up there or higher again. Um, even with the, the league being a little bit more talented and a little bit more skilled, I don't think Denver's 54 wins was a fluke at all, having watched them last year. So um, I, I like the over, and uh, I, I, I kind of like it as a, an easy bet. Yeah, it's hard to argue with any of that. Uh, and I'll get you out of here on this last question. Um, just looking forward a little bit, maybe three or four years down the road, and, and maybe you can address this for this current season as well, but you know, do you see a finals appearance here in the future? And do you see a championship? I don't, I don't see it this season. Um, it, as much as I'm high on the Nuggets in the regular season, I'm low on them in the postseason for the reasons we talked about. If they run into the Clippers or the Lakers, I like both of those teams a lot more. I mean, I think, I think the, uh, Denver should be heavy underdogs in both of those series. Um, there's other teams, you know, Golden State's obviously really tough. Houston, Denver has traditionally struggled with. So I, I don't see Denver getting past all of those teams. This year they had an easy route to the you know to the conference finals and really to the Western Conference finals if they would have made it that far. But um, they had an easy route there. I don't know that that'll happen again. I think they're going to have to beat probably two or three good teams to get to the finals. And I think they have one good series in them, you know, to upset a team or to, to beat a team that's you know one of those top four teams. But I don't know that they have it in them to beat to win multiple of those series. I think somebody can um, exploit their weaknesses enough. So. I, not this upcoming season, but again, Denver has the pieces in place to sort of um, either Im- improve internally. You know, Michael Porter Jr., a rookie this year, what's he like in two, three years? Maybe he's, maybe he is that guy. And if not, I think they just have the pieces and assets in place to pivot and and pick up the next great either disgruntled superstar or the next great um, you know elite role player that's that's no longer needed on the team he's on. So. Uh, I do like their chances to make a finals appearance or even compete for a champ, like seriously compete for a championship over the next th- two, three, four years. But I wouldn't pick it this year. But it's nice to have that direction, you know, obviously heading towards what everybody's ultimate goal is of that championship. And there's a path. I think the big difference between, you know, Sacramento and Denver, obviously you're a little further along, but you also have that guy that is your clear number one where Sacramento's question mark, you know, I mean, Fox is the identity, but can he be the best player on a championship team? And I think that Denver is confident that Jokic can be that. Um, I think the very, the very last thing that we like to do, Adam, you were an absolutely great guest. I think that there's a lot of reasons to keep an eye on Denver. We appreciate you, uh, giving us your insight and answering all of our questions. We want to give you an opportunity to pr- plug a lot of your work. You do a lot of things in a lot of different places and must put a crazy amount of time because you put out great content all over the place. I appreciate it. I, I would just say, you know, Locked on Nuggets is, is my daily show in the off season. It's just three days a week. But, um, you know, you can check that out. If, you're, if you ever want to hear about the Nuggets, um, I, I highly recommend giving that a, call, a, a, a listen. Maybe when the Nuggets are in town to play Sacramento, you can check out the preview for that game or the wrap, wrap up for that game. I often give a lot of observations about other teams as well. And then DenverStiffs.com obviously is um, the project that I've been working on for the last four years. It's really cool. I think we cover the, we cover the Denver Nuggets in a way that nobody else in town does. So give, give both of those a try, and uh, I think you'll like what you see. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, Adam. Thanks for having me, guys. This was fun. Yep.
Thank you. And thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse podcast. You will hear from us again in the next couple days here.